Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. We're going to talk movement up at the top of betting markets for who will go in the draft, why positional value isn't quite catching on yet in consensus big boards, and what really matters in QB evaluation. All that and a little bit of mailbag on this episode of Unexpected Points. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Welcome back, everyone. We have made it. You and I, everyone out there, the entire world, the whole mock draft industrial complex, draft Twitter, nerds, commentators, um, everyone at ESPN, they have like 10 different guys now working on, on the draft. The Athletic has another 10 different guys working on the draft. Mike Renner here at PFF and everyone here. We're at draft week. This is when all of the prognostications and theories and ideas of what will or will not happen, some proof we finally get this year. And then, you know, the people who are right, the people who are wrong, all of that sort of stuff. Those who are right will trumpet it for the next 12 months as to how great they were on their predictions. Those who are wrong will just ignore the fact that it ever happened and, you know, go back to making predictions next year. That's the way things work here in Analysisville. But we do have some actual movement here. It moved to quote uh, George Costanza from Seinfeld here. Some things are actually happening here. I've been tracking pretty closely the market, specifically at our friends at DraftKings, their betting props on the NFL draft. The big move this morning was Aiden Hutchinson, no longer the favorite to be the first overall pick. As of now, and I am quoting this at 2.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As of now, Trayvon Walker is the favorite to be the number one overall pick at minus 160, whereas Hutchinson is at plus 140. So let's go ahead and convert these just really quickly. I should be able to do this on the top of my head, but my brain ain't that good. So this means we're at a 61.5% implied probability. You take some, some juice out of that. It moves it down to the high 50s. So a high 50s type of implied probability that Trayvon Walker will be the number one pick. But remember, this isn't just like a one player thing. This is against everyone, right? Anyone could be the, the the first overall pick while it's really down to two players here. So he accounts for that, you know, 60%-ish, and then we move it up to Hutchinson, accounts for another 40%-ish. So they pretty much make up the entire market right now when it comes to who is going to be the number one draft pick overall. We have, uh, let me see, Ikemakwenu is uh, plus 750, Evan Neal at 1,600, Kayvon Thibodeau is at plus 2,000, Malik Willis, plus 4,000. So no one's really close. Charles Cross, plus 5,000. So that's all, you know, dart throws that people are just wasting their money, essentially, going for those sorts of things. Now, why did it move? Well, our, uh, my man, PK, Peter King, over at NBC, I think is his, who he's affiliated with now. So he came out with his 
football morning in America column. This is the mock draft edition. And right up at the top, he has Walker there. I've seen some people point to previous predictions from Peter King that were not correct for who would go number one overall and say that we shouldn't be reacting too much to what King is saying. The thing with with Walker and why I'm buying that there's some fire behind the smoke here is that this is not just a Peter King thing. This is a thing that's been moving in this direction for a while now. The fact that Walker has gone from at the beginning of draft season, being a fringe first rounder to moving up near the top and then recently moving higher and higher up the board, clearly ahead of Thibodeau and others. And now almost neck and neck with Hutchinson at the end of last week, Hutchinson was maybe a 65% chance to be the number one pick according to the odds and Walker more like the 40 to 35% uh, percent, and it's now flipped. So the, there's smoke going into it, but it's really, I think the wording of the blurb here for what PK, as we, as we like to call him, friends of Peter King, um, not a friend of Peter King, but I have met him once uh, on the mean streets of Indianapolis during the 2020 NFL combine. Uh, he would not be able to pick me out of a lineup though. Um, so his, his blurb here for the number one overall pick Jacksonville Jaguars, Trayvon Walker is expect a surprise comma, I heard out of Jacksonville recently. So there is some indication when he says, I heard out of Jacksonville recently. You know, Peter King is not talking to the janitorial staff there. He's the number one football journalist in America still. Is he necessarily the most connected guy in these sorts of things? I don't know. Um, you know, Schefter and others is a little bit more connected to the day-by-day grind, the scoopage that's going on there, but I'm sure King knows people high up. And we're talking about, you know, people like Trent Balky who've been there and been around for a long time. Uh, Peter King has been around for a while now. He's been, you know, embedded with San Francisco in the past during draft days, things like that. Uh, I don't think it was during Balky's tenure, but you know, he, he was, he was, he's been around, he's been around for a while. And he says that would eliminate Aiden Hutchinson here. The trendy pick after that has been Walker, so that really wouldn't be much of a surprise. So then he's, but I still think that is a surprise. I still think that is a surprise. And he mentions Ikemaquano here and he says, perhaps, but he'll go with the one year college start upside guy and Walker. So I think that's really the key here is the wording, not just the pick, not just the speculation pick, but specifically mentioning I've heard of Jacksonville recently that that's there. And for other betting markets to get confirmation of what we're seeing here, Aiden Hutchinson is now minus 130. So the odds on favorite to go second at DK, which brings me to lavishing some praise on our guest, Matthew Freeman of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. He came on the podcast last Wednesday for those of you who caught it to talk about a bunch of different bets he was making one of the bets that he really liked a lot and this is you know this is recent this is something that he plopped onto his best bets on April 20th so just five days ago at Fox bet he has here although it was available a lot of different places I think maybe the best line was at Fox bet he had plus 225 for Hutchinson to go second overall right now Again, at, at DraftKings right now, 
Hutchinson is moved all the way to minus 130. So he's gone from an implied probability of 30% to an implied probability of 56.5%. Huge move there, almost a doubling. Congratulations to Matthew Freeman on that one going there. So we have some of these being backed up there. I re-scraped all of the over-under, the player over-unders. So I tracked the player over-unders and actually had tip to Ben Baldwin here because he posted some code on uh, GitHub on this one where it has some easy way to go to DK. You scrape all the different players, their over-unders, and he also has an adjustment on there to take out the VIG and calculate the probability of the under. So the probability being better than whatever the posted over-under here is because, you know, you don't want pushes on these. So they... They put all the over-unders with a, with a half on them to make sure there are no pushes. And then they just move the odds around it. So whether it's, you know, minus 150 to go under or plus 150, something like that. That's how they adjust it. In fact, they don't even move the numbers, at least they haven't moved the numbers, for when players' full-on positions are changing here. Aiden Hutchinson is still at an over-under of one and a half. Trayvon Walker is still at an over-under of three and a half, despite the fact that they, had, they in, a, in a separate bet, have Walker as a better probability to go number one than Hutchinson. What has changed is that the likelihood that Hutchinson will go under has gone from 65%, so there's only one way to go under in this circumstance, and that's to be the number one pick, has gone from 65% down to 38% at DraftKings, according to those over-under odds. And Trayvon Walker has gone from a 70% chance of going under three and a half up to 83% chance. Looking through the other guys here, no change for, for Thibodeau. So he's not really being seen as a possibility still at number one, or at least a, he's only a distant possibility. Uh, again, uh, Ike McQuainu is going up, so we have him as going for his under four and a half has gone from 48% to 58%, so about a 10% probability gain there. Uh, Sauce, Ahmad Gardner, no change. Evan Neal, no change. Charles Cross went slightly up as far as his under probability on seven and a half. It's gone from 47% up to 53%. Not a huge move there. Derek Stingley Jr., no change at 9.5, where he's slightly favored to go under. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, the second, 9.5 is exactly 50-50 split his probability. And Garrett Wilson, 9.5, has not changed, having a slightly lower probability of going under. So skewing a little bit closer towards his likely draft position being 10 instead of being nine. And of course, drafting a 10 are the New York Jets. So that would be an interesting uh, position there. So the real, it's really just been a few guys that have gotten a little bit higher up as far as our over-unders is concerned, and Hutchinson, who has fallen in his probability of going under here. And what I think what we can do is we combine this with, actually, you know, before, before I mention that, all this draft research that I'm doing, draft guide, everything available. We're in the final stretches here. I want everyone to make sure 50% off draft 50, 365 days of elite subscription, 50% off all of our locked article content, the draft guide that you'll have at your side, at your ready for when this draft hits here. Completely unlocked uh, mock draft simulator available to you to figure things out there. And you also 
There will also be a PFF Draft live show. You want to check out all three days of the draft and a Sunday recap. This is the once a year type of promotion for our super users here for an elite subscription, 50% off. And the promo code is DRAFT50. Once again, DRAFT50, 50% off for everything at PFF. So what I've done here is trying to get an idea of not only what's going on in DK, but then we also had another great resource come out from, as I say often, friend of the pod, Arif Hassan over at The Athletic. He has been compiling now, not always at The Athletic, because it hasn't even been around for that long, but for a number of years, and I think going back to at least 2016, I want to say, he's been compiling what he calls his consensus big board. So he puts together I'm not even sure how many big boards, maybe 30, 40, 50 different big boards comes up with the consensus ranking for every single player. And this year he's also adding a standard deviation type metric there to show how unstable some of the rankings may be or may not be. So what I decided to do is let's look at that consensus big board information where I know it doesn't translate directly over to the draft, but I think this is how the draft analysts are thinking there. Let's look at that versus what is being projected at DK now for the over-unders. And I'm going to adjust the over-unders depending upon what the betting lines are associated with those. So for instance, my over-under assumption for Hutchinson is now at two rather than being at one, even though he's at one and a half. And then for Trayvon Walker, it's at between one and a half and two basically for, for what, for his number is there closer, you know, more like one and a half right there now. So having all that information, I compared their big board ranking versus their draft Kings projected draft position ranking to see what we could find out about how the draft community looks at these players versus how we're assuming NFL front offices are going to look at these players. So, we don't know these are the actual draft positions. These are these are guesses. So there's some instability there for what these guesses are. But what I think is really interesting here is if you look at the biggest differences that we see here, and I look at this on an adjusted basis. So if someone is two spots differential between, let's say, expected draft position and big board ranking, and those two spots, the difference is between two and four versus those two spots, the difference is between you know, 36 and 38. Well, the first one is a bigger impact. It's something we should be tracking a lot more than the second one. So I make an adjustment on that by making it relative to the baseline for these types of numbers here. You don't want to be giving too much credit to large differentials between late, what will happen in the late first round or the second round versus a little slightly smaller differentials for what's going to be happening early in the first round. That what happens early in the first round is much more impactful, those differentials. So I looked at all these different players and I calculated, if you want to know the exact calculation, it's just looking at the difference between the two numbers divided by the sum of those two numbers. So for instance, the biggest difference as far as draft position being ranked above big board position by this relative ranking is Trayvon Walker. And that says that, He has a rank of eight in the big board consensus, but he's a one and a half assumption for draft position there. So the calculation here is, you know, we're looking at one and a half minus eight gives you a negative number showing that it's either valued more by draft pick or valued less by big board and then divided by eight plus one and a half to get to get a number. And it ends up being, in this case, 
almost a 70 kind of percent differential be, be, between those two is how you can think about it. So a huge difference, despite the fact you could say, well, it's only a difference between one and a half and eight, but that's a big, big deal. And it seems like big boards are a little bit slower, a lot slower in some ways to react to this new information that's coming through than what we're looking for on NFL draft position. I think it means that they're probably behind the curve because I think the NFL front offices are better than draft analysts at the stuff. Clearly, they have more access to information, but it's something to think about there. But more importantly, if we look at the next few ones by this percent difference in ranking, it really throws in our face the positional value question. And I know people who do these big boards will say, well, I'm not factoring in positional value. I'm looking at a grading system, which is going to grade a player based upon whether or not there'll be an all pro type of talent, a pro bowl type of talent, a multi-year starter in the league, a competent starter, a backup, a practice squad player, and so on. But I think that is a bit phony to say for a big board, that that's truly what you're doing. I mean, you're not putting a potential all-pro punter near the top because you are accounting for position value. You're not putting a bunch of running backs near the top necessarily because there is a positional value calculation in there. There is a skew towards quarterbacks somewhat. There is a skew towards wide receivers somewhat. There just isn't enough still. And that becomes extremely evident when we look at the next three players who have the biggest undervaluation in big boards right now. And those players are, unsurprisingly, the quarterbacks. Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter rank two, three, and four for draft position over big board consensus. Right now, Malik Willis has a 10.5 draft position expectation. His rank, his big board consensus ranking is 29th. Kenny Pickett is at 13 for his draft expectation. His rank is 32nd. Desmond Ritter is at 28, 29 for his draft position expectation. So in the first round, 49th, according to the rankings here. All of them off by an amount of somewhere between 25 and 50% higher valuation from NFL draft position versus big board ranking. I don't get why we're still doing this, honestly. Uh, another interesting name, the next guy is Sky Moore, wide receiver, where I don't think wide receivers are necessarily undervalued on big boards, but they're clearly a good positional value place to be in the draft and what we've seen with everything going on now. But Sky Moore is about 25% undervalued according to big boards also. 56 is the ranking on the big board. So 56 would put you, remember, you're starting at 33 in the second round. So that's 20-something picks. So it kind of puts you in the the later second round sort of area. 34.5, 35, right in that range, is the expected draft position according to DraftKings line. So that's a 22 differential and 25% differential there. Pretty big. Pretty big there. I think this might be a small school thing where perhaps... He's not as on the radar for the different draft net community as he is for the NFL. But a little bit surprising there because I know some people did love Sky Moore, but some people do not seem to be updating maybe their rankings quite as much as they should there. Now, the next couple of guys that come through, two different tackles, Tyler Smith and Trevor Penning. Smith is 47th on the big board ranking, 30. 
23.5 on expected draft position. Trevor Penning, 22 on the big board and 16 on the draft position. So we're getting a little bit thinner here. We're talking about maybe 10, 15% value difference there. But if you look at those top positions, again, edge, quarterback, 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 wide receiver, tackle, tackle, offensive tackle, offensive tackle, right? Not, not just tackle, not defensive tackle, but offensive tackle, offensive tackle, all positions you could put in that bucket of being positions you should prioritize based upon positional value. And even if we go further down these rankings, Matt Corral is not as highly, but he is also uh, valued more by the draft. He has an over under of around 34 on his draft position versus 39 on the big board. And then Sam Howell has an over-under on draft position of 46 versus 53 on the big board. So those guys aren't as undervalued by the, uh, you know, the draft industrial complex that comes through on these big boards, but they still are a little bit. So all the quarterbacks are undervalued by big boards versus the draft. And if we look back a bit, and I think this is when it becomes important here, is how do we think about this? Again, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to not liking this narrative out there that quarterbacks are somehow overvalued in the draft. They're taken too early in the draft. And I think that's reflected in what we're seeing for these big boards. And the big board, the fact that the big board is not close on any of these guys. The reality is, though, if we look at all the different quarterbacks who have been Big, big hits over the course of the last several years. I'm going to go back to 2016 on this one, looking at consensus big board rankings versus NFL draft position. I would label the hits as being, the biggest hits as being Dak Prescott in 2016, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson in 2017, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen in 2018. Uh, Justin Herbert in 20... Actually, Kyler Murray. You, you can question that. But Kyler Murray in 2019. Justin Herbert in 2020. And Joe Burrow in 2020. Those are the guys that I would put into that bucket. Of all those guys, including Dak Prescott. Remember, Dak Prescott won the NFL draft in the fourth round. He was still lower rated by draft analysts. His, his consensus big board rating was still a lot lower, around basically lower than what his actual NFL draft position. But looking at the other guys who were, you know, first round picks, all of them first round picks, only Lamar Jackson was viewed more positively by consensus big board than his NFL draft position. His NFL draft position was 32. His consensus big board ranking was in the 20s, in the low 20s. That's the only guy. So all these other guys, and remember, keep hearing again, oh, quarterbacks get pushed up too early. Quarterbacks get pushed up too early. Well, if your only guy you would have had a chance at for the last several years is Lamar Jackson, a guy who, yeah, unanimous MVP, but probably the least slam dunk-ish of a guy you want to extend of any of these guys. At least that's where the perception is in some quarters right now for him. He's the only guy that you would have gotten if you said, you know what, we're going to stick to our guns and we're not going to reach for these quarter reach, I'll put reach in quotes, reach for these quarterbacks. We're going to, we're, we're not going to artificially put them up the board. You know, you're not getting Joe Burrow, although a lot of people at Joe Burrow won. His consensus big board ranking was still a bit lower, still under, it was still at two. Kyler Murray, 
His big board consensus ranking, even though he went first overall, was in the teens. Justin Herbert, who went uh, sixth overall, his consensus big board ranking was 19th. Deshaun Watson, who went 10th in the draft, his consensus big board ranking was in the high 20s. Josh Allen, who went 7th in the NFL draft, his consensus big board ranking was in the mid-30s. And Patrick Mahomes, the number one quarterback in the NFL, the face of the league in some ways. Remember, can't reach, can't reach, can't reach is what people are talking about. He went 10th overall. His consensus big board ranking was in the low 40s. Not even close. No chance of getting a Patrick Mahomes if you're deciding we're not going to make a mistake and reach for, for a quarterback. And the, the, the reality here is it isn't like a systematic overvaluation, which means you then have to overvalue quarterbacks yourself. NFL teams understand positional value better than a lot of draft analysts. Don't listen to too many draft analysts when they're talking about positional value, especially if they're going to say things like quarterbacks are being taken too early. They're not being taken too early. They're the most important pieces. They have the biggest value. They have the biggest impact on the franchise. If you want a good quarterback, stop worrying and being risk averse, which I think a lot of draft analysts are in their big board rankings, risk averse about a bust by putting these guys lower. Instead, go for the, the quarterback who can be able to do something for you. So again, we're getting another season this year where another draft season where every quarterback is undervalued by big boards right now. And when we look at the flip side, the players who are being overvalued by draft big boards, consensus big boards versus the expectations for draft position in betting markets, number one, Kyle Hamilton. He's ranked third in the consensus big board. It was second last week. Now it's actually gone down to third. His um, his over-under is 10.5 at DraftKings, but he only has a 40% chance at an under. So that puts it more like 11.5 versus three. Huge differential, about a 60% overvaluation by big boards versus what we're looking at in the NFL draft. And he's a safety. Second is an interesting one because it's actually Evan Neal, a tackle, a position that which I mentioned is something that is a good positional value type of position. But I think it's a little bit wonky here because his rank is second on the big boards here and his pick is five. His assumed pick is five. So while it is a big relative change, two to five, right? It's a 50%-ish sort of change we're talking about there. 40%-ish sort of change uh, overvaluation for more value in big boards. It's still so close near the top that I'm I'm willing to discount it a bit. And, and this next guy too, Aiden Hutchinson, has you know he's more like expected to go two now instead of one by his big board ranking. So again, I can kind of discount those two. But the rest, we, we start to get back into this positional value stuff here. Tyler Linderbaum is next. He's a center, fifteenth rank on the consensus big board versus twenty seven and a half, twenty seven, twenty seven and a half for his draft position, about a 30% overvaluation. Nakobe Dean is next from Georgia, off-ball linebacker, 20th ranking on the big board. He is 31st, is what his assumed draft position is here. And as we go further down here, we have another off-ball linebacker at number eight. We have defensive tackles in Jordan Davis and Devontae White at 11 and 12. And you do have some cornerbacks in here. So cornerbacks, another one that kind of falls into this weirdish sort of valuation where I don't think their positional value is as high as some of these other 
ones that'll really pay off early in, in a career. Um, and they also could fall into that thing. Again, we move down a bit further. We have a guard in here. We have another safety. We have another safety. So a lot of these guys who are way off, it's just the positional value is still pretty clearly and systematically being miscalculated, in my opinion, on these big boards. Because, like, what do you want to know from these big boards? You want to know who the most – you want the value aspect put into it. I'm sorry. It is already being put into it. You know, we can't pretend that we're not putting it into this calculation and say we're going to leave that value aside. And that's the most – probably the most important frame of reference, the most important prism through which we're looking at these individual draft picks. And the big boards have shown that they are still off in that regard. Okay, before I get into some QB evaluation stuff and then answer some questions for mailbag questions that I solicited last week, we are going to talk about Manscaped. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming, the roster Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Weed whacker, the weed whacker, nose and ear trim, ugh, ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also testicular cancer awareness month. Manscaped has partnered with the testicular cancer society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first round pick with Manscaped. Okay. I'm going to hit a little bit about QB evaluation again for like the 50,000th time. And I know you guys are probably sick of me talking about the whole Matt Corral versus maybe Desmond Ritter would be a good example of someone that QB evaluators are able to evaluate in a way that makes them more comfortable. But what I will say is, and this is the big picture thing for me, is that what are we looking for from a QB evaluator? What what are you looking for from a QB evaluator? And I'll tell you what I'm looking for for a QB evaluator. I'm looking for someone to tell me what did happen. I think I mentioned this before. When it's a film person who can diagnose, can talk about what the quarterback may have been thinking, can talk about how these different concepts played out, can talk about why things may have gone poorly or why things may have gone correct. That's important to me because it's context that I can add to objective statistical analysis I've done that has looked at things like relative performance under pressure being very important, that's looked at things like sack avoidance being very important, that's looked at things like scrambling ability and movement being very important. Getting all those things, being able to get the context to add to those is an important Again, another prism to look look at the objective and really clear statistical picture you can paint around these guys where you can pick and choose at these different sort of things, much less opaque than it is for a quarterback evaluation where you put up you know three or four clips of someone and then say, this is why this guy's number one in the class. What I don't look for, and going back to what I just said, what I don't look for necessarily 
in a quarterback evaluator because this is not what they're really trained in. This is not what they focused on. This is not what they've researched. This is not what they've gone back and looked at as part of their process. What I don't necessarily look for is saying, because quarterback X did this well in college, this means he's this much more likely in a new system, at a new location, at a new game speed, at a new level of competition to be good in the NFL. In fact, I think they're almost completely different skill sets. Yet we look for people who do quarterback evaluation to tell us what happened to be the leading authorities on tell us what's going to happen afterwards. Why? Why why would you be doing that? I do know there are some people, Matt Waldman's probably one of them, who does a pretty rigorous job in tracking what he has observed for what has happened then and then looking back and making adjustments to his process, not just in an intuitive way, but making adjustments to his process to figure out What's better for figuring out what will happen? Really digging into misses that he's had in the past, digging into exact things that he's checking and documenting on there for what it means. I don't think a lot of guys are doing that, who are doing the QB evaluation to quarterback ranking piece. I don't think so. And I'm going to mention a couple of instances here. Again, these are people who I'm watching, who I'm absorbing their content, so it's not like I'm here to trash them or say they're not good. But... It's head-scratching at a point when something happens and I just can't believe the rankings that are coming out based upon even their own content for what they've shown me. First, I want to mention, and these, again, these are people you should be following and look at their work. If you want a complete overview with a lot of clips, again, you're only going to get a sample when you're going through quarterback analysis. You're only going to get a sample of all these guys, even the most extensive film evaluators. But I thought I think J. T. O'Sullivan, who does the QB school on YouTube, I think he does a fantastic job. He has, I don't know, seven different videos for most of the top quarterbacks there, at least for some of the top quarterbacks there, where he's going through different games for them. So, you know, you, 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 these guys are playing 12 to 14 games last year, so you're only getting seven. You know, they played the year before, too, and there's some stuff there which may or may not be getting evaluated that you're missing out on. Keep all that in mind when you're looking at it. So for JT, uh, JTO, I'll call him, I was, I watched almost every single one of his videos and took some notes on what he was saying about these different quarterbacks. And the impression that I had based upon not just his attitude about what he was saying, but also the things that he was documenting and the adjustments I'm making to my statistical process, I thought, and maybe I'm just confirming my own bias because again, I liked Matt Corral. He had a lot of good things to say about Matt Corral. He didn't have nearly as many good things to say about Kenny Pickett, uh, Malik Willis, and Desmond Ritter, or at least there were more critical as I saw errors that are translating through that I'm seeing come through to my numbers. But what ended up happening is when he talked about his rankings at the end, actually, I don't know if he had Willis first or Ritter first, but he had one of those two guys as being first, then, you know, like Pickett and Howell and whoever, maybe even Carson Strong above Matt Corral. And I was, I was shocked to see Corral be that low. And what he went back to, and I only really listened to the part where he's talking about Corral, because again, this is the guy I'm the most interested in, in this class by my measures. He pointed to, you know, the system, 
was maybe this Mickey Mouse sort of system. You didn't didn't see a lot of that. And he pointed to the injury stuff. I think the injury stuff is a legitimate concern because he does take a lot of hits there. But again, I think when you're looking for upside in the quarterback position, these potential fatal flaws are a little bit less concerning for me if it's a downside sort of issue with something like injury where you just don't know. It's it's a roll of the dice every single time you, you take a hit, depending on how you take it, how it'll end up working out. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily restrict myself from a player because of that. But that was it. That was all he really said for the negatives on Corral. And it just seems so weird that he would have dropped so far. And then the positives for guys like Ritter that we're hearing a lot now is, you know, he does NFL quarterback stuff. He doesn't do it particularly well, but he shows the ability to do it. So it's like if we can fix his accuracy, which has been a bit off. Uh, these are These are also things that very commonly for certain players like like Ritter, they say, well, I know how to fix this. I know how to fix this accuracy. I know how to fix the processing a little bit. I know how to fix the footwork a little bit here. Where someone like Corral, they're like, well, I just don't have the sample of what I need to see. So I'm just going to say he's too risky and put him down. We're going to be risk averse in putting him down there. And this is not even just a film evaluator sort of thing, because another, uh, I would say friend of mine, Bill Conley, we've hung out quite a, quite a bit at the last uh, Sloan conference, Bill Conley, who works for ESPN, he does more stats work. He had a whole podcast with Bill Barnwell, and I was listening to this thing, and I was like, okay, I think I agree with everything that Bill's saying here. And the, and at the end, when he does his rankings, again, Corral is down like fifth in, in the class. And it was funny because even Bill Barnwell, the host, was shocked by that and mentioned something there. I tweeted at him, joking about it there. And again, there's like this whole fear of the downside of someone when we don't know what, what they mean. And I feel like that's, the, that's not necessarily the way to truly do quarterback evaluation because what we have seen time and time again is what we perceive to be a downside characteristic, like hasn't operated much in a traditional system. Sometimes that can be a problem, but more so the guys who have been in a traditional system, but haven't been that great are really the downside guys when it comes to translating to the NFL. There's a reason why a lot of quarterback evaluators were high on Josh Rosen because of what they saw on tape. But again, he didn't have the scrambling ability. He didn't have the sack avoidance. He didn't have the pressure performance in the same way. Those things that I really look at. But people were high on what he did because they said, oh, he's running big concepts since he was a freshman, since he was a young freshman at UCLA. He's doing these NFL concepts. What they don't realize is that doesn't provide the floor that you think it does when it comes to an NFL quarterback. Scrambling ability and quick decision making, even if it isn't progressions you're running through is what's going to give you more of a floor in that situation. Deshaun Kaiser is another guy, which was QB one on quite a few boards because of these things that he had displayed in the system that he was working with everything else. But then those didn't give him a floor that people thought that they were giving him. And I think in this class, if you look at Ritter in particular, again, accuracy issues, maybe some processing issues, pick it to a lesser degree. But, a, but, you know, less upside maybe with some of the arm talent sort of stuff. And again, some head scratching uh, issues. Maybe those guys don't have the floor that's being put into their profiles. And that becomes an issue, I think, for translating from what happened to what will happen. That is the disconnect. And we need a little bit more humility, I would say. And, you know, I try to be humble myself on these things. Maybe I don't always accomplishment, but a little bit of more humility figuring out how are we translating from A 
to be in these circumstances. Even if you're really, really good at A, it doesn't mean you're going to be really, really good at projecting these guys into the NFL. Different skill sets, different talents, different type of people I'm looking for to do those two different things. Okay, mailbag. We have a few questions here. I solicited some for last week, but I only did one call for questions because uh, I got Matthew Friedman to come on as a guest. Um, He actually wanted to come on, kind of almost begged me, honestly, in the DMs to come on. Um, So let's go through a handful of questions that I did get on draft, general draft questions. It's some interesting stuff here, and I think it could put into some larger macro stuff that we can go into. First, from at JoeyT091, the question is, if you were a team like the Texans, i.e. you essentially need everything, how would you go about a draft like this season? Would you prioritize specific positions? And would you draft more high ceiling, low floor players, things like that? Yeah, I think it's interesting. When you need everyone, and you have to think about windows for performance. I think for certain players, and clearly, let's just throw running back out there as one of those. If you wanted to make the case that you were ever going to prioritize a running back, it would be you're competing right now, and this is the final piece that you're adding. Again, I wouldn't do that in the first round. I probably wouldn't do that in the second round. But if you were to make that sort of argument, you could say that. Now, if we're going to rank order players the opposite way, so the players who are most likely to have the longest window of productive play and an ability to outperform what you're going to pay them on a second contract, because if you're the Texans – while it's possible that a year from now, two years from now, you are competing again, you're the least likely team in the NFL for that to be the case because of the needs everywhere, no path at all at quarterback, even players who are the most productive players on your team, like Laramie Tunsil or Brandon Cooks, you know, approaching 30 years old also, um, not necessarily a great, a great plan there. So if you're going to rank order the players that can give you those value. I mean, number one is quarterback. No surprise there. Not only ability to make a huge impact, have a very extended window playing into the mid to late thirties nowadays, but also playing above the value of the contract. If you hit correctly on that type of player. So that would be something that I would think about as a Texas. No one is talking about the Texans taking a quarterback here. Texans, you've got some extra picks here for, as part of the Deshaun Watson trade. You could be trading Brandon Cooks and others and be getting even more picks. I know you don't want to, quote unquote, ruin a quarterback by bringing him into a poor situation. But, you know, Davis Mills acquitted himself pretty well last season as a third round quarterback. I don't think there's as much risk as some people think there. You have Tunsil. You have other investments that you've made on the offensive line to help have some protection there. I don't think this is a firing squad that you're putting a rookie quarterback in front of if you bring them in there. So why not take a shot? Maybe you're not going to do that. Um, Maybe you're not going to do that at the third overall pick. Maybe not. But you also have the 13th pick as part of the Deshaun Watson trade. That's an interesting place to think about it. You also have the 37th pick. Could be someone around that area that you're interested in there. So I think for those second picks, 
I just don't see, and especially in the 13th or 37th pick, or even if you could trade back from three, which who knows, sounds like no one else can, can, can no one can really do that there. But for those types of picks, you got to be thinking, who can I draft here? Who's going to be productive, not just two years from now when they take that second year leap, not just four years from now when they're, when they're at the end of that rookie contract, but six years, eight years, 10 years down the road. You want that type of player in a team that has no definable window right now. So beyond quarterback, who's the next type of position for this? Well, you already have Laramie Tunsil, but again, like I said, he's, he's not the, he's not the youngest um, player. And the next position is the offensive tackle edge players. You can get a decent career out of those guys, but actually I know I'm looking at Tunsil. Here's 27. He's, he's, he's actually younger than I thought here. But even for Tunsil, even for another another player that you can get on the other side, might not be a bad place to go. And maybe that's where they are going to go uh, with that third pick overall. If you look at the numbers here, for for it looks like uh, Ikemakuanu is number is has the highest odds at plus three hundred. Evan Neal is plus four hundred in there at the third best odds. Sauce Gardner's in there. Cornerback. Eh. Maybe that's a, that's a player that you can get a 10-year window out of if everything hits correctly, but it is more of a player that you can find in free agency. Uh, at least you can build around when you need a bunch of them too. I mean, edge rusher is, again, a place that you might want to go with that third pick with something like Thibodeau. But again, edge rusher is, a, is another position where a little bit more of a decline as you get beyond midway through that second contract. So you're not getting the longest tail of player performance there. And the second thing is that you're going to have a ton of cap space going forward. You can Frankenstein a pass rush a bit better than you can Frankenstein a offensive tackle because tackles and offensive linemen play every single play. You can rotate players in and out on the defense. You can have them more situational. You can try to, you know, put together two players who maybe as a standalone are only worth a dollar, but use them separately in a way that you can get, you know, $2.50 of value out of them, that sort of situation. Um, And for that reason, I think tackle would be the place to go for them to get that building piece there along with quarterback. You could say that tackles are a weak link position and edge rushers are a strong link position. In other words, Tackle is only as good as the rest of the offensive line. And again, I mentioned that you have like Tunsil there, who's 27, um, and some other pieces there. But tackle is only good as, as the rest of the offensive line. So if you don't have great players elsewhere in the offensive line, if you don't have a good quarterback who you're protecting with that offensive line, I mean, think about someone like Joe Thomas, who played with uh, mediocrity at best, always a quarterback in Cleveland, then it doesn't really matter as opposed to an edge rusher who can make things happen on his own. But guess what? If you don't have a good quarterback, it doesn't matter if you have the edge rusher either who's getting you another four or five sacks a year. Your team is still going to stink. So if I were them, I would go probably one of the top tackles who were never available in free agency, top left tackles. Edge rushers, yeah, they, those guys are not that available in free agency either, but you can you can piece together some productive players via free agency that we've seen there. I mean, look at like Trey Hendrickson last year coming over to the Bengals. Like it's within the, at least within the realm of possibility. Tackles, it's not. And those guys can play again into their 30s. 
And we're seeing more and more recently, maybe Andrew Whitworth and the Jason Peters of the Worlds are just freaks that we're not going to see again, but we have players approaching or hitting 40 and still being able to play that position. So it gives you a very strong window. And we really have those franchise type of players we've seen as tackles, uh, you know, whether you're going to go all the way back to Anthony Munoz to a, a bunch of different players after that, who become synonymous with a particular franchise playing there for so long because they can be values on those contracts for a very, very long piece of time as you build around them. I think that's the key is, Rosters turn over constantly in the NFL. So picking positions, you want to focus on positions that are going to give you the, the longest turn as far as the turnover is concerned when it ends up hitting. So for the Texans, for the first two picks, I go quarterback and offensive tackle. And I know people are not necessarily going to like the quarterback thing there, but I would go ahead and do it to get the longest timeline possible. Build around it the other positions, and you have plenty of cash available in free agency to go get other players. And this is a draft where you can do that, where you can get the tackle the top tackle, probably your number one tackle in this draft at three, and you can get a pretty good quarterback, in my opinion, with some upside. If it's someone like Corral at, you know, in the, in the middle of the first round. Okay. So that's what I would say for the old Texans, but it's going to be tough. going to be tough this season, but you never know. Things, things can turn around quicker than you may have thought. Okay. Second question here from, I don't know. I hate having to say these things. I don't know if it's Bob bear, but it's at B A B H bear is there data showing that running a mickey mouse offense aka aka rpos in college means you can't be a successful pro quarterback i.e matt corral how much does below average college quarterback o-line impact a wide receiver being successful in the pros i.e bo melton okay so let's talk about both of these questions separately there isn't definitive evidence about the system and translating to the pros. I will say I looked at all the different quarterbacks that we have data on in college. And we only have data going back to 2014, but all the different quarterbacks we have data on tried to adjust it for their particular season because teams are using more and more RPOs. If you look at the RPO usage for the top quarterbacks this year, it's very high across the board, although Corral is in another stratosphere. And going back, adjusting it for season, looking at which quarterbacks have been successful, which ones have not. And yeah, generally the ones who have been successful have used RPOs at a lower basis, especially on third down. Again, the wrench here that's thrown in for Corral is the fact that they went for it on fourth down so much. So he wasn't operating on third and long or third and medium in the same way that most quarterbacks would have been doing in the past. So there is some evidence of that, but then Justin Herbert is a guy that you would have eliminated also if you looked at these types of things and who is overproducing on and RPOs, he would have been the guy that you're too scared of and, and, and let him fall a little bit here. And, you know, that would have been a huge mistake. I'd put him as maybe the third best quarterback in the NFL right now. Okay, let's talk about Bo Melton. How much does below average college quarterback O-line impact a wide receiver being successful in the pros? I don't know about O-line, but I know for quarterback that there has been Okay, so let me say this. The defining research that I had seen before was that a wide receiver could be pumped up too high by good quarterback play, then vice versa as a prospect. I think that's changed a bit as people have become more 
uh, adept at adjusting numbers and using things like I use, where I use market shares, which are basically just a percentage of a team's passing attack as one of the numbers, not just looking at absolute numbers. So if you have really poor quarterback play, and again, it's difficult to disentangle those two things sometimes. If you have really poor quarterback play, and there is such dramatic differences in quarterback play for college prospects at wide receiver than there are for NFL receivers, even the worst quarterback in the NFL is, you know, better than 99% of college quarterbacks. There is some effect there. And that's why you want to look at guys who can be highly productive as a share of production are also good. And you also want to look at target gathering versus production sometimes, because if you're getting the ball thrown to you, whether it's being successfully thrown to you or not, is not quite as important. And I think Bo Melton's an interesting guy. He's a fast dude, which is which is good. He's gathered a lot of targets, but he had god awful quarterback play. I think he's an interesting guy. Maybe I'm not necessarily high on him versus versus some others here, but I think he's an he's an interesting kind of like late day two, early day three type of pick if someone ends up uh, throwing something out on him in that range. All right, a couple more questions here. This is from Abrupt Angler. At Abrupt Angler, I was curious if there were any other areas like you found for wide receiver size where the NFL has changed its draft process in a way that hasn't paid off. For those of you who missed the podcast before, I was showing how the average size of wide receivers has been getting smaller and smaller over time, yet, especially in the second round, it's been littered with busts of these speedy, small wide receivers and some of the biggest hits, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Chase Claypool, uh, Debo Samuel, et cetera, bigger wide receivers in that second round uh, fell probably further than they should have. The NFL moving more towards this piece of the puzzle for their wide receivers instead of just focusing on the dominant receivers that they should. So what else have I found there? You know, it was kind of tough to find anything else that, that I thought was was similar. The one thing that I could point to is tight ends and maybe the NFL still not quite getting that the risk reward on tight ends in the first round is not probably worth it. Now, Kyle Pitts may end up paying off. So he went fourth overall, the highest tight end pick we've seen. I don't know, is it ever? But certainly in 25 years um, as a tight end. We'll see if he pays off or not there. But the reason to go against tight end is they're not as big of a passing part of the offense. They are not paid as much. So the surplus value that they're getting very low franchise tag amounts and amounts that you're going to get for, you know, you can substitute in some players at that position for, for a much smaller amount there. And they're just more difficult to project into the pros because of how different schemes are and, and other things for, for the pros here. And if you look at what's happened over the, since 2017, we've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different tight ends that have gone in the first round. So that's a lot. You had three in 2017, one in 2018, one in 29, two in 2019, and then one in 2021. So Pitts last year, again, he may end up being that guy. But let's go a bit further back. T.J. Hawkinson, number eight overall in 2019. Probably not too happy about that, if you're the Lions, uh, at this point. Fine player. Probably not too happy about it. 2019, 20th overall. Noah Fant. Just got traded to the Seattle Seahawks. Not a not a not a total throw in, but kind of a throw in as part of that deal. Uh, twenty eighteen, number twenty five overall, Hayden Hurst. You know, marginal player. Not not not. He's okay, but 
clearly nowhere close to the the value you were hoping for a pick like that. Drafted, as everyone knows, has been repeated ad nauseum, drafted seven picks before Lamar Jackson. 2017 is when we had the three tight ends taken. O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, David Njoku. Njoku's still around with the Browns, but not a worthwhile investment through his first five seasons, I don't think. Ingram, of course, is now moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. O.J. Howard, I forget where he's even going, but is he coming back to the Bucs? I should know this, but he's obviously not produced anything there. So I think that's something that's accelerated, is wanting to bet on that additional receiving option with the more and more receiving options there. But there are guys who have just emerged, whether it be Kittle or others, even Kelsey was a third-round pick, Kittle was a fifth-round pick. They're guys who emerge from much, much later because they're used so differently in college that there can be guys that just slip underneath the radar there who are athletic. And if we go back even further, there were none taken. Again, this is an accelerating trend, so I'm saying this is where the NFL may be going the wrong direction. There were none taken in the first round in 2016 or 2015. If we go back to 2014, Eric Ebron at 10 overall, 2013, Tyler Eifert at 21st overall. Eifert could have been somebody, if not for the injuries. Again, injuries, another problem. A lot of these guys get very, very injured in this position. Nobody in 2012 or 2011. 2010, 21st overall, Jermaine Grisham. Uh, 2009, 20th overall, Brandon Pettigrew, and so on and so forth. You're really not getting anybody that you're really too happy about. So this is just an awful hit rate for players you'd really be happy about. You have Greg Olson as the 31st pick overall, so almost falling out of the round in 2007. You have Vernon Davis as sixth overall in 2006. You're probably happy with those picks. But again, not a whole lot there. Now, Rob Gronkowski is probably someone who would have been a first-round pick if not for back concerns in college. So it's not that everyone is off. But again, just as a risk-reward bet, we have not seen guys in that first round, but teams may be getting a little bit smarter about that because I haven't heard anything about Trey McBride in the first round, despite the fact that he has some pretty good numbers for athleticism and production this year. So I guess that would be one area that I've found where there's been a trend that's gone in the wrong direction, but NFL teams may be reversing themselves a little bit at this point. And my last mailbag question here is what is a belief that you had when it came to the draft or team building that you have changed your mind on over the past three to five years? Love the pod and your work from at Zach H. Armstrong. Thank you, Zach, for the kind words. And this is not maybe the most revealing and stunning thing here, but when it came to especially 2016 and looking for the trade-ups in that draft, the fact that people thought that um, Carson Wentz was going to be a hit, the whole philosophy of, uh, of you know, you can't try, you can't, you can never give up too much of the quarterback hits. I was pushing back against that stuff so reflexively that I think I lost and now I've changed my opinion quite a bit on how different it is trading up for a quarterback versus trading up for other positions. I was, you know, not new to football analytics at that point, which is, you know, approaching uh, seven years ago, because I'm even going to go further back to the trade-ups that we saw in 2015 and wondering about those a little bit. But I was really digging into, you know, the loser's curse from uh, Richard Thaler and Cade Massey. And there wasn't that much of a differentiation in my thinking about, you know, the kind of never trade up sort of mentality, trade back and gather assets. There wasn't enough of an adjustment that I made for quarterback and how important that can be and how reaching, as I discussed earlier in this episode, reaching at the position is not as big of a concern as what you may think it would be. 
this whole thing of being patient, building the team up first and then getting the quarterback. I don't know if I believe in that as much as I used to also, which was a rationale for why the Browns did not draft a quarterback in 2016. I would say you don't want to draft the wrong quarterback. You want to draft the right quarterback if he's available, but being willing to draft someone and then move on is probably something I would go for more so than just avoid ever thinking about trading up or avoid ever reaching at quarterback to try to get that value maximization. Because unless you have that piece correct, you can't really maximize the value elsewhere. And losing some draft value in order to try to get that piece correct is more justifiable than than doing it any other sort of position. And that's where you have to really worry is outside of that quarterback position. So that would be the biggest thing that I've changed is really not getting down on teams that are going to look to upgrade and to move up in the draft for a quarterback who they want, despite the fact that the trade value charts and others wouldn't tell you to go for it. At least the old trade value charts that did not account enough for positional value of the quarterback. Okay. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Go ahead and rate and review the pod on iTunes. I'll be talking to everyone on Wednesday and then I'll come back to wrap up. I'm not going to come back till Monday. So, you know, it'll seem like a lifetime ago from the, from the first round, but go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. And I'll be giving my takes out there for everything that happens in the first round for all the fans out there. Good luck to you and your teams. Uh, Good luck depending upon what happens in the quarterbacks here. Uh, But I'll be giving you one more update on the NFL draft before we get there on Wednesday. Thanks so much, everybody. I'll talk to you then. (laughs) 